Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and turn to or find or Google uh, Luke chapter 24 today. Um, I have noticed that there's this resurgence of walking that has taken over my street. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen that. I've mentioned that before. I am saying people, I'm saying hi to so many people I have never seen before. It happened to me yesterday. I was riding my bike and I went by someone and they're waving to me. I'm thinking, I have no idea who that person is. As I walk to Penichuk School, almost every day I walk down to the school and back and there are different people every single day. Many of the people that I'm meeting along those walks are couples or people that are walking near each other. And, and you know what they're doing? They're talking. And I wonder, what do you think they're talking about? I'm sure you could imagine in these days. Well, I would like to tell you a story today. In fact, we know where that story is found. It's found in Luke 24. We know it as the road to Emmaus story. Long before the pandemic, this was the chosen text for the day. This was where we were going to be if we were gathered together long before this pandemic. So I wonder, does God have a gift for us in these words today? So let's get to it. They had walked this road hundreds of times. The walk between Jerusalem and home. Now, we don't know for sure who these people are, but there are many scholars who think that this may very well be a husband and a wife. There's Cleopas, we know his name. Mrs. Cleopas, well, we, we really don't know her name. But they have left behind Jerusalem. And what's left behind in Jerusalem is a city that is abuzz with what has happened in the last weekend. Uh, there's, there's the sham trial that took place. There's the, the, the bloody execution of Jesus. And now, and now they're walking and they're wondering because now the body's missing. And they don't know what to make of any of that. It was a strange day for them. That was what was behind them. Ahead of them, where they're walking to, they don't know. They don't know what is ahead of them. As I said, it was a strange day for them. And it's a strange day for you and me. But this morning, let us walk with them. In fact, I... I think in many ways we are walking with them. In Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 14, we read these words. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I imagine that that seven-mile walk for them served as a time for this couple to debrief life. This is what I imagine. I imagine that that was maybe where they did the download on how the kids were doing. Maybe that's when they discussed what was happening in the events of their life and in their day and their community. Maybe that's where they kind of pounded out uh, those issues in a relationship. Or maybe that was where they were trying to, out of the earshot of the kids, discuss how they were going to make ends meet. But on this day, on this day, on this very comfortable road that they were very familiar with, they were discussing uncomfortable realities and unknown futures. 
my guess is that there were frenzied and frayed nerves that were accompanying this walk. Because you see, just a week before, they were part of the crowd that celebrated with palms and shouts. Everything they dreamed about was coming true. Messiah was here. But then, but then Friday came. Friday came. Friday stole their dream. Friday stole their hopes. But worst of all, worst of all, Friday crucified their expectations. And the truth is, in some ways, there is nothing more devastating for us than lost and unmet expectations. In a job, in a marriage, in a future. The stranger joined them in mid-discussion. Actually, it's rather rude, don't you think? For some reason, they could not see him. Uh, We benefit from the lens of history that allows us to see that this was no stranger. But just for a few moments, put yourself in their shoes. No explanation is given, but recognizing Jesus was for some reason beyond their capability, their capacity. They were kept from seeing him. I wonder... What kept them? Was it the tears in their eyes that clouded their vision? Was it the anger in their hearts that blinded their sight? Was it their downcast souls and countenance that they just stared and looked at their feet that were dragging on that road, paying no mind to the one who had joined them in the journey? Well, we don't know, but this is what we do know. We do know they lost the ability to see, to see a different perspective to their story. They lost the ability to see an alternative to their story. But then they found some unexpected company along the way, and frankly... This stranger asks a rather awkward question that when he asked it, it stopped them dead in their tracks. In fact, I think Cleopas is a little irritated with this guy. He didn't even look up. This is how the Bible recounts it. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Now listen to this. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And then Jesus, the stranger, says, what things? Can you just see him asking that question? What things? But that's when it happened. The dam burst and out poured their pain and their grief over lost hopes and dreams, all that they had placed on this man, Jesus. And so they recounted how he was abused and how he was executed. And and now this unsettling story they're hearing from the disciples, that the tomb is empty. But in the process of this, they made sure the stranger heard how their expectations for how things would be evaporated before their eyes in a matter of hours. This is how they said it. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem 
Israel. We had hoped. Can you hear how that statement is pregnant with anticipation and expectation? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But their expectation of the way they thought the world would and should be was lost. It was gone. It was unmet. Letting go of our expectations is hard. Unmet expectations rob us of so much of the joy of life when we stay focused on those unmet expectations. Perhaps their hopes and dreams, these travelers, perhaps their hopes and dreams were built around their hopes and dreams and not God's. And I wonder if that is what really blinded these broken-hearted travelers to seeing Jesus. All they could see was those unmet, unrealized expectations. I wonder if that is what prevented them from actually recognizing that the very one they had hoped for was right there with them. Ronald Rollheiser says this about those travelers. He says this, why can they not recognize him? He says because they are too focused on his former reality, too focused on his former image of their former image of him, their former understanding of him, the way he formerly was present to them, so that now they are not open to seeing him as he walks among them. And then Ronald Rollheiser goes on and he says. By clinging to what once was, we fail to see God in the present reality. Hear that? Sit with that for a moment. Just sit with this statement for a moment. Here it is. By clinging to what once was, we fail to see God in the present reality. But for those followers... Even there in their walk, in their journey, in their hardship, in their lost expectations, in their looking backwards, he's there. And today, for you, he's here. He's with us. But the story continues. The stranger doesn't try to be unkind when he tells them, as some translations put it, how thick-headed you are. <laughs> he's not really trying to be unkind. The NIV says, how foolish you are. He, he's not trying to be unkind. No, he wants to show them that the truth of who he is has been right in front of them all along. Jesus is longing to help them see. Jesus is always longing to help us see as well. And so what Jesus does, he takes that which they had built their lives upon, their entire lives upon, that which was lodged in their past memory, which was the scriptures. And he reminds them of God's presence now. He, he reminds them of the story that they grew up with, the scriptures that were given to them, and he uses them from the past to remind them of the present reality of God. I love how it's stated in the Bible. Verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
He takes the scripture and he says, you don't know it, but I'm telling you all about me. You see, they thought that the Messiah would come and reign and seize the day with power. Did you hear their hope? That they would come and redeem Israel. That he would come as a political power. That he would come as a, as, as a military power. That he would come as a civic power. But this strange and unwelcome guest helped them see that Messiah would come and live among them and would know suffering, but would also then defeat death. He was trying to show them that God was at work in the horror of Friday, which made it good, and in the mystery and the confusion of that morning's news about an empty tomb. But all they could see was what was hard, what was broken, what seemed to be like failure, what appeared to be lost. That's all they could see, what was hard. Dr. Dan Boone asks this question, could it be that God is most at work when everything seems to be falling apart? That Could it be that God is most at work when everything appears to be falling apart? Can you see God, he goes on, can you see God at work in those places? Hard, isn't it? He asks us. And my answer is yes. Yes, it is. Very. It is so hard that we must confess that we can't see Jesus on our own. That's right. We can't see him on our own. They could not see God working in these circumstances, and we must confess that we can't either in our own. And that's what's best about where the plot of this story goes. I know you know it, but it's so worth hearing again, beginning in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Not long before this, they were incredulous with this strange man, but now they can't get enough of him. Meeting strangers was the culture's way, that culture's way of making new friends. Sitting for a meal with their new friend was a mark of that Middle Eastern hospitality that they were known for and that they practiced. But it was when they welcomed him, when they let their guard down, when they made a place for him at their table, when they made room for him in their lives, that's when it happened. When he was at the table with them, the Bible says, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Don't skip past these words. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Do you see it? No longer are their eyes and their souls and their countenance downcast, dragging along, no longer they are now up. No longer are they keeping a stranger at arm's length. Now they are looking at him. If you notice, I've attached to our cross this morning a wooden sign that my friend Terry Ward had made 
for me. Carved into it are those Latin words, susum corda. Could you say that with me? Especially the children, say it with me. Susum corda. You see, they are part of the ancient Christian liturgy. And what they literally mean is this, up with your hearts. But, but actually, more literally, it means hearts up. Say it with me, hearts up. You know, there's a group in our church who is practicing that more than any group I know in our entire congregation these days. And that is our teenagers, our students, who every day they have what they call their gratitude challenge. It's amazing. And what they're doing is they're trying to find three things a day to be grateful for, to be thankful for. You know what they're doing? Hearts up. They're teaching us how to do that. And that's what happens here. Hearts up. In making room for Jesus... And then we have this place of gratitude and the bread and the cup that's offered with thanksgiving, all initiated by Jesus. They are given the capacity to see, to recognize, to know Jesus. Were not our hearts burning as he talked to us? You see, following Jesus is not simply an objective set of truth claims to be studied and comprehended and mastered so that I can have all this Bible knowledge? No. Sometimes we can know every truth in the Bible, everything the Bible teaches us, and we will miss the whole point. You know, we can miss the main character. The Bible concerns itself. We may know the Bible, but we may not really know him. They did not open their own eyes with their brilliance and conclude this was Jesus. Their eyes were opened by the grace of God to see he was there all along. It was the gift given to them in response to them making room for him. If they would have never made room for him, they would have never recognized him. They would have never known He was with them all along. This is such an endearing account in Scripture of what happened to that couple that day. But this is what stands out for me. They had probably walked that road hundreds of times, as I had mentioned. There was nothing more familiar to them than that ground. And it was there that Jesus met them. In what they knew and were comfortable with, And what was unknown, all of that, the known and the unknown, all mashed together. He met them. He met them in there now. That's where he met them. I think we are often waiting for God to show up in some fantastical way. We're waiting for God to show up maybe with some great big revival, some great big way of power. Maybe another tomb emptying for us to see. Maybe a dramatic deliverance from a pandemic globally. Maybe a miraculous healing. Maybe an immediate change in my circumstances so they get better. But this passage teaches us that Jesus shows up in the present realities. Whatever these realities may be. Jesus is working in the present realities, whatever these realities may be. And so, let's welcome him. Let's welcome him so that we don't miss him. Now, that's hard. That's difficult. 
that's difficult because, as Ron Rollheiser goes on to say elsewhere, God always looks underwhelming in our world. It's so true. You see, what these travelers wanted and what we want is the overwhelming God who moves with might and power. We want the God we can, we can step back and say, look, that's God. But that's not what we get. You see, we get the God who takes on human flesh in the form of a vulnerable, helpless baby. We get the God who, who lives in poverty as an itinerant rabbi. We get the God who shuns riches and fame and, and material gain, bringing grace to the poor and the unknown and the marginalized. We get the God who is executed as a common criminal and whose cause, if you put it through the, the filter of success that we believe in today, his cause was a failure. That's the God we get. We get the God of suffering, of weakness, of hardship. But what that means is this. We get the God who is always working in those places. Suffering, weakness, hardship. Those experiences, you know, they level the playing field of life. All of us, no matter what socioeconomic background we're from, no matter what race we are, no matter what language we speak, no matter what quarter we have in life, all of us experience that. That's the God we get. The God who works in ways we least expect and circumstances we can't imagine. And right now, with all that is going on in the world and in our homes, in your home, in my home, in our households, it is so easy to miss him. It's easy to become blinded by what has been lost. It's easy to think about what was, right? It's easy to become blinded by the negative news cycle. Can I confess to you that I, I've had to really scale it back. I've had to curate the news cycle in my life because it's been negative and it's affected me emotionally and spiritually. It's easy to become blinded by the catastrophic thinking toward the future. It's easy to become blinded by the tension and, the, and unease of these days. It's easy to become blinded by our expectations of how God should work. God, you should be doing this. And we're tempted to forget in all of that that we have the God who is always working in those places in ways we least expect, in circumstances we can't imagine. We are tempted to forget this. We believe in resurrection. That no matter how dark it may get, we believe in resurrection. We believe that old saying, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And maybe, just maybe, God is working in these days, guiding us to let go of what was so we can recognize Jesus now. Letting go of what was so we can recognize Jesus now. What Jesus has for us in the now. So let me ask you three questions. Three questions. How might it be that God is at work when everything in your world seems to be falling apart? If you feel that today, if you feel like everything's falling apart, let me ask you, how could it be that God is working in everything as everything seems like it's falling apart? 
Name that right now. Name it. How is God working? Second question. What am I clinging to that was once was? What am I clinging to that once was that prevents me from recognizing Jesus in the now? What am I clinging to? Let go of that. Let go. You've got to let go of that, that dream, perhaps. You've got to let go of that hope, that unmet expectation. Third question. What needs to die so we can be raised to new life? Right? You can't have resurrection without a death. So what needs to die? What needs to die so that we can be raised to new life? Well, let it die and find new life in Jesus. You see, that is how the God who raised Jesus from the dead works. That is how he worked when it seemed like there was no possibility for Jesus to come back from the dead. That is how he worked along that dusty road with those travelers and their downcast souls. And that is how he works in this broken road of a pandemic journey. In any life journey, any road. Because this is resurrection. Today, Jesus meets us on our road. This pandemic road, he meets us right now. So, May we stop dead in our tracks. And may we make room for Jesus through our faith in him. May we just give him thanks. Hey, friends, hearts up. Susum korda, hearts up. And then, may our eyes be opened to recognize him today. And it's there we find hope. We are met with hope. Right there. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to receive this benediction and just an invitation to you. I invite you to put your hands out in this posture. Your hands symbolizing a place of reception, of receiving from God the grace that this scripture offers to us, the grace of his presence with us. Maybe this is the start of recognizing him today, just putting your hands, palms up, knowing that we receive from him his grace. Receive now this benediction. May you confess how you need to see him. May you make space to pour out your heart to him. May you find and have courage to invite and welcome him into your life and into your circumstances. And may he give you grace to recognize him in the now. For he is with you. He is working among you. And so, my friends, hearts up. Yes, hearts up.